Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. So last night, John, uh, I put B in an animal cage. (laughs) Did I send you the picture of the dog crate? I sent it to somebody. Uh, I I was very excited. I saw that. Okay. Yeah, I don't usually go to a nationwide pet store chain at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night but when I do (laughs) to get an extra large cage for my partner um it was our three-year anniversary last night uh or yesterday whatever uh since we first had sex for the first time thank you yeah we went and got our our toes done I've started buying him pedicures because he's on his feet all day and he really likes it he likes getting the black shellac (laughs) but the nail ladies yeah the nail ladies asked if we were going to like a party or something and I said no it's our anniversary we're just celebrating and they said oh are you married and we're like no uh so just three years of raw dogging it um (laughs) (laughs) that word is silly but you got me saying it um anyway so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we had a lot of fun. I want to talk more about that in our after show, if you'd be interested in hearing. Sure, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, but I, I was, as I was, th- that was the other thing. I was being, I was leading a scene as a dominant, which is something I rarely do. But so as I was setting up for the scene and he was setting up and um, and then when we were playing and then afterwards, I, I was reflecting on, all this cool, crazy, safer sex that we had that I didn't learn anything about in school. Like it had nothing to do with anything I was taught in school for the most part. Um, and it got me thinking about the sex education we receive and what sex education would look like if it wasn't heteronormative and mostly about preventing pregnancy and STIs. No. Um, yeah. What do you think would be different? if sex education was not created with hetero sex in mind? Um, I think that if, if, you know, kids today and even back then could have had sex ed that wasn't hetero-centered, you'd probably have a lot more, uh, I think, pleasure-based education. Because um, instead of teaching it based solely on the idea that sex equals copulation and you can have a kid... Um, or use a condom because otherwise you'll have a kid. It all seems to revolve around having a kid, whether whether or not that's the intent of sex. Um, and that leaves very little room for actual discussion of like, I don't know, consent and boundaries and pleasure and other stuff that's super important and matters. So mm-hmm. I think they'd have a more varied um, uh, a more varied discussion. So you as a gay man, like how often do you? And like as someone who's still very much, I think, in a exploratory phase of their sexuality, because like you're pretty young, you're in your early 20s, you're in like a first serious relationship for the last year, you know, you would agree. You're probably like still in a really good jumping off phase, right? In terms of exploring your sexuality. Um, I don't know, like how often or does stuff ever come up where you're like, oh, I wish I had been taught something about this or anything like Um, mechanics of anything. Yeah, a lot of my, like, I wish I'd been taught this was, like, from age 18 to, like, 20, probably. Um, like, getting out of high school and then having more experiences and 
wishing I knew more. Um, I, there were some things that weren't even just like really super related to sex ed, but I wish it, that in sex ed had been taught um, how people approach like discussions about sex <laughs> um, mm. before you have it. And I feel like that's not really taught. So that would have been cool because that would have waved a lot of anxiety if I had like a confident plan to to approach that. That's I didn't even think about that. So like talking about having the sex like before, like agreements and stuff. Yeah. And, and boundaries and or safe words or limits uh, yeah. or barrier use or intoxicants. Yeah, I was actually he was um, showering and we were both like setting the stage and I was I cracked open my old uh, third edition of Jay Wiseman's SM 101, which, by the way, it was written in the 90s. So some of the language is still kind of like stultifying, like the word hookers <laughs> is in there and not as a derogatory, oh. just that when he yeah. wrote it, I mean, you know, like a lot of kinky people w- and the sex workers overlapped. He also lived in Berkeley at the time. So it's like hookers was just jargon much more than it is now. So anyway, but I'm reading my old my old book and it's I'm looking I was looking at the long form agreements of who will be dominant, who will be submissive. Is there any chance you will switch? And we actually kind of went through a little of that softly, like before the scene. And like, so that's what that made me think of. Um, Not necessarily kink, but if there was, yeah, some kind of tools to like how to talk to your partner about what your both your goals are, you know, or whatever. So I sent you this list because I asked some of my social media followers uh what i asked lgbtqia and beyond people uh what how did heteronormative sex education fail you um go ahead and open up that list i was hoping we could take turns reading from it yeah just some of the responses we got from people what this brought up for them uh (laughs) one person says literally never talking about other types of sex other than penetration by a cis man (laughs) uh one says how to have safe lesbian sex i learned more from youtube than from sex ed Hmm. not Hmm. surprised Mm -hmm. uh they never mentioned frequent sti std testing so what I yeah. what I think this person means by this is like, for example, when I called the clinic uh, last week and they asked, you know, if I was having any symptoms and I said, no, my partners have sex with other partners. This is just a regular screening like that's still something a lot of people don't know they can just do like you can get screened as often as you like. They say it's unnecessary for most people more than once a year unless you're in a high risk group. But I know people that do it, you know, like one of my partner's partners does it every three months, she says. Yeah. Go yes, that makes me happy. Anyway, uh, let's see what else. There's one that says, uh, "Literally nothing. The only sex that I got was that they took just the girls and told them about condoms." <laughs> <laughs> oh my wow. god! Just the girls and told them about condoms. But who's putting the condoms on? The girls? I mean, yeah, like we should all know how to put condoms on. But if you own a dick, like probably should know how to put a condom on it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This person says pleasure for the pussy group safety. Ooh, I don't know what that means, but I'm interested. <laughs> lube. <laughs> lube is in all caps. Yes. Oh my God. Lube was never mentioned as a teenager. Oh my God. And then we have the assumption that it's for like dried up old ladies. <laughs> no. e- even that movie. Oh my God. That movie super bad that came out uh, a couple years after I graduated high school. So like kind of a snapshot into history, but that's a Jonah Hill movie. It was like 2005, but the, the language in that movie is awful. And then also there's a line in it where one of the main characters, it's like a nervous, horny teenager movie. And the character's like, Oh, I'm prepared. I have condoms and lube. And his friend is like, these are teenage girls. They're not dried up old ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, everybody needs lube. He shamed his friend for you having lube. Oh, hate it. Um, let's see. What else? Ooh, it says, uh, it pigeonholes lust and love instead of explaining them as a spectrum. Hmm. That's a nice yeah. one. Let's see. This person says sex is not (laughs) sex is not just penetration for fuck's sake. (laughs) Uh, 
let's see what else uh that people with vaginas can transmit stis and stds to each other <gasps> yes yeah that's something we don't teach yeah that wasn't really uh, talked about in any of my sex ed mm-hmm Mm-hmm. They talked about like you know the men are carriers for these things, women are carriers for these things, but they never talked about like you know if you're a woman looking to date women or a man looking to date men, like what to look for. Other than like AIDS, which they covered because for the wrong reasons, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do it in the butt or share needles or you will get AIDS and die. Um, yeah. Is basically what I was taught about that to use lube. That sex can be more than PIV. That attraction to your sex or gender or to non-binary or trans people. Oh, someone says I've learned more about <laughs> I've learned more from your podcast about STIs or infections than I ever did in school. Well, that's kind of shocking because we don't even talk about them that much, really, for a sex podcast. <laughs> no. uh, this says people with vaginas need time to warm up and get wet. The proper use of dental dams or how to avoid STIs other than with a condom on a penis. Ooh, these are so good. Um, maybe we'll read some of these more later if we have time. But anyway, so there's some transmission stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, communication is more important than maintaining the mood. That's a good one. <gasps> Ooh, I like that. I like that. Um B's getting over a cold, um, just like when we met three years ago. He was getting over a cold, and he was trying to hide it originally, yeah. but this time it's kind of a joke, like, oh, honey, just like just like when we met. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> but dur during our scene at one point last night, I, I looked at his face, and I, I realized, like, not a booger maybe, but like a little bit of moisture was gathering around his nostrils, and... I thought like, oh, it would, it might break the mood if I say that he can blow his nose, but like how damn uncomfortable and gross. I don't really, I'm not going to feel comfortable shoving his face in my pussy if he's got snot coming out. Anyway, so <laughs> I stood up and I left, I left the room and I went to the other room and I came back and I said, you're allowed to blow your nose if you need to. And he did. And it, it was just like, oh, okay. That there gives us another like 45 minutes, you know, of comfort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that good ender <clears throat> so that's awesome yeah so okay so we found some themes um it is autumn as we record this now like every back to school season when there is a new wave of kids being taught sex ed whatever that looks like in their school whether it's comprehensive and inclusive versus abstinence uh or anything in between but there's always parents that have negative reaction and you know, the squeaky wheel tends to get the grease. So if the angry parents are the loudest, this scares the schools into offering them more comprehensive and inclusive sex ed. So because there is apparently this is going on. Yeah, it's that time of year. Parents are pissed that their kids might learn about how to have safe sex. Anyway, so I wrote a letter to my high school. I also wrote a letter to the <laughs> California Department of Education. I was a California student. Um, I wanted to share it real quick in case anybody was interested in writing their own uh, and they wanted to kind of model something after mine. Um, you know, keep it short. Administrators get a ton of stuff. So, John, if I may. <clears throat> yep. Hello, Principal Blank. I'd like to give feedback regarding the sex education that I received as a blank student in 2001 to 2004. I'm now a certified sex educator and a parent who wanted to reach out after reflecting on my clients, my history, and the decade-recent explosion of STI transmission across this country. Um, if blank high school still gives abstinence education, I would suggest they stop. Research shows that it might delay sex in teenagers for up to six months, but that tr pregnancy and STI transmission are more likely. I linked to a study. Because teens slash people don't have tools to navigate consent or contact when they are told, quote, just don't do it. I recall the abstinence speaker we watched in the gym for 90 minutes in 2003. Myself and many of my sophomore friends were already having sex. Things might have changed in 15 years, but here's what we didn't receive that truly could have helped us. Identifying sexual coercion and partner violence. Resources for queer kids, intersex people, and trans kids. Safer sex for LGBTQ students, more than putting a condom on a penis. 
As an adult who works with adults who were more easily harmed or traumatized due to their lack of sexual information as kids, I implore you to investigate comprehensive and inclusive sex education for your students. Scarleteen.com is a public resource that is great for kids and parents and will lead to many more resources. Thank you for reading this, Principal Blank. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Thank you. So mine was actually even a bit more wordy than I would like, but um, yours doesn't have to be that long. I wonder if you'll get a reply. That'd be cool to read it. Yeah, that would that would be really cool. Actually, it's it's funny. I when I sat down to contact high school, uh, my high school doesn't even have a, a contact for feedback. So they I called the reception and the perplexed desk when I said that I wanted to give feedback regarding something. She asked what I said sex ed offered in the school. And she's like, oh, OK. She gave me the principal's email. So cool so they're they're not terribly streamlined but if you can do it it might take a couple minutes might be really really worth it that's cool i wonder what would happen if more people did that like on a big scale (laughs) Uh, i have an idea of what could happen if more people did that (laughs) (laughs) uh okay let's let's take a break rax is the first native app designed by and for sex workers With unique features like a social feed, club reviews, income tracking, and event calendars, use it to grow your business at the touch of a button. For more information on Racks and more events, in-depth courses, and free content for adult entertainers, visit www.racks2riches.com. R-A-C-K-S to riches.com. And just for Strange Bedfellows listeners, use discount code SBP at checkout for 10% off any educational products. Attention service and sex industry workers. Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing holistic options that work with your schedule. Our Sin Yin classes are meant to help you wind down, reset, and improve overall health. Need a little motivation? The first Sin Yin class is free to new members, and we offer discounts on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the app to check out all of our industry-friendly class times. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows, your favorite politics, sex, and self-help podcast. Today, we are talking with Elle about past high school that she uh, emailed because sex ed was lacking. And uh, mm-hmm. if more people did it, maybe we'd see uh, some results in the more receptive mm. schools. So that would be kind of cool. Um, That'd be super cool. I was remembering uh, a theory about how going to public protest can be not damaging, but kind of pointless because people will blow off their steam going to that one event and then they feel like they did something. So they are largely inactive in terms of like activism for a while after that. So I was thinking like how, how cool it would be if every time we thought like, you know, gosh darn it, that was wrong and I wish it could be different if we actually as individuals gave feedback to the sources that we have feels about, I think it would dramatically change our world. So John, let's do some questionable lyrics. I woke up with this song in my head two separate mornings after working in the club um, because a couple dancers have been playing this song every time they work. So I'll hear it on the mid when I'm coming in and I'll probably hear it on the night shift. And I'm overly sensitive, and I know that some themes present in my life more often than not, but I wanted to discuss this song and see what you think. So what song do we have today, John? Love (laughs) on the Brain by Rihanna. Oh, Rihanna. Um, So Rihanna did co-write this song. Her and two men credited. It was a 2016 song. It's a pretty song. Um... I'm pretty sure it's about domestic violence. So you love when I fall apart so you can put me together and throw me against the wall. Oh, and baby, I'm fist fighting with fire just to get close to you. Let's see, I'm skipping down. Must be love on the brain that got me feeling this way. It beats me black and blue, but it fucks me so good and I can't get enough. Must be love on the brain. Um... So in a discussion with a a ton of women, not all of them white, but someone brought up that they said Rihanna tends to write a lot about physical violence in her songs because it's something she's experienced. I mean, look at her 
long time ago relationship with Chris Brown. Someone said culturally it's a problem for Barbados women, like higher rates of violence due to misogyny. I feel uncomfortable speaking to that as a white person with no knowledge of that culture. But those are a couple of things that I think are worth mentioning. Um, I don't think it's wrong to write about domestic violence at all, but I think it's irresponsible to mislabel it as love and to not offer it in a better context. Yeah. Kind of like Fifty Shades of Grey would be fine if you're like, ah, look at this <laughs> look at this abusive relationship. But then yeah. it wouldn't have made as much money. <laughs> yeah. Um but I think actually I'm sorry. I know because I've been there that songs like this, when you're in it, when you're in a relationship and you're like, oh, this song like totally gets me. Like, I know what it's like to have this obsessive, like desire, burning desire, sexual attraction for someone who, you know, it, they could turn on a dime and like how exciting and violent and scary and intense. Um, but I think it's like, it's almost like you're glamorizing it in a sense by just calling it love. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think that it's it's definitely an odd choice of words for some of the lyrics. Um, especially the like it beats me black and blue but fucks me so good. I'm just like oof. Mm. Um, but oof. then I don't know. Rihanna kind of simultaneously tats herself as someone who should not be looked up to or a role model. So I wonder if that's part of she said that. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, she said that. She's like, I'm not a role model, and I was not trying to be for young girls. Um, and I thought that was cool. She's like, it was at the time. She's like, I'm just doing what I want to do. It's like, yeah, you're 25. Like, you don't, you don't need to be a role model at all. But again, the reason we do this segment of the show, I think, is because so often we sing along and we dance along and we move to these songs and we repeat them. But it's like, what are we saying? Like, I just want to be clear about what we're talking about, because when I watch. A, a beautiful woman on stage where I work smile and spread her legs and touch her pussy. And it says, and it beats me black and blue. It makes my back hurt. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like, and I'm oversensitive. Uh, I remember once I sat in a, a presentation by a sheriff's department and it was on human trafficking and there was some anti-sex work, um, tones to that uh, which is separate but related but there was a law enforcement woman saying that a lot of the women who are trafficked by their pimps their partners they will justify the abuse by saying that it's it's a show of love and she said that one woman one prostitute woman uh, sex worker woman said to her um I know that if I can survive his beating, he'll make love to me afterwards. And that's how he rewards me. Damn. Right? And so I'm sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's something a lot of people don't think about. Um, They don't have exposure to really, really toxic, violent relationships like that. Unless they've been in them, in which case it might be normalized. So I just want to, I just want to not normalize abusive relationships is all I want to do. I just want to, you know, uh, point them out maybe. No, I don't know. I want feedback. I want anybody to tell me if they think, uh, if they disagree. Uh, yeah, we want to hear from you. Pillow talk at strange bedfellows, pdx.com. Definitely an interesting discussion. Uh, John, do you want to do some listener questions? So our first question is from a listener who says, I am a trans woman and I had my bottom surgery two years ago. I never hear about post-operative trans people and sex. I identify as a lesbian and I'd love to hear the experience of a lesbian with a post-operative experience. I haven't had sex since my operation and the thought scares me. I'm afraid that I won't smell or look like a cis woman should. Hmm. Hmm. And I'm also not a lesbian. Um, and mm-hmm. neither of us really have post-operative experience. Um, so I Mm-mm. feel like what we would have to do here is probably bring a guest on the show who could speak to that if they wanted to. Um, mm-hmm. I think the trouble is just that unless we're pulling from like 
like gold standard resources it's it's difficult to address a question where i mean i have zero mm -hmm. know-how or mm -hmm. experience yeah thank you for saying that um so we got this question from someone they actually emailed us a couple different ways and then they emailed to follow up to make sure we got it so i'm sensing some anxiety on this person's part and that's why i wanted to include it because yeah. i think there is a you know a great need for more resource about it so um if anyone you know yeah we feel uncomfortable asking trans women to uh, describe their genitals to us so yeah. but this person is a trans woman who would really appreciate the help. So if anyone has resource for that, we appreciate it. There are some forums. Um, there's transgenderpulse.com. I typed up GCS trans uh, forum and I found it. But there's a ton of like post-op discussions on that one. There is a book called Care and Feeding of Your New Vagina by Connie Rice, Body Positivity in the Era of a World Learning to Love Better. This person's talking about, uh, oh, apparently Washington, D.C. has the highest proportion of transgender people in the U.S., 500% higher than New York or California. That's very interesting. The only comment I want to give here is, as a person who had a boob job and that's not the same, like my breasts are very, very similar to large breasts, but they're not the same and that's okay because they're still rad. So if your vagina smells differently than you think your vagina should, there's a lot of women that feel that way also. <laughs> um, so you're not alone in that. But yes, we would love to hear from other people. And also preference is so incredibly relative. Um, I've had sex with a lot of cis women um, and they all smelled and tasted and looked quite different. So, and it's not to say that I felt compatible or attracted or like really stoked on everybody's genitals. I'm sure my genitals aren't like super perfect to a lot of people too. Like it's all preference. There's a lot of preference. So uh, yeah, we hope some of those resources were helpful. Otherwise we'd love to hear from you. Okay. So next question, my boyfriend and I have been dating for a few months and he wants to try butt stuff. I've never done anything like it before and I'm nervous that I'll be bad at it. I want to make him feel good, but I also want to be very comfortable. Any suggestions or techniques or tips? <sighs> hmm. So. Lube. 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 <laughs> uh, practice with your fingers. Stretch yourself out a little bit. Um, tell him to go super slow. Like, however slow he thinks. Just make it five times slower. Um, and then, like expect to clench and tense up at the very beginning that's normal um just go super slow and you will eventually relax and um mm, we're, yeah, we're talking to her about how to do butt stuff on him though oh well that yeah. applies to him but if she's using like a strap on <laughs> but <laughs> i don't know i would say just fingers then probably it's easy to find a prostate mm. you should curl inward yeah, a lot of people tend to pick a toy that is bigger than what is actually going to be comfortable for them. Um, that could be, <laughs> I would suggest to him that he have a bowel movement and a bath or a shower beforehand. Um, get some gloves, get some black gloves. I love using gloves, especially with butt stuff, because it kind of feels kinky. And if you're worried about poo, then what you do is you just pull the gloves off <laughs> and you can swap them. Mm -hmm. um, I was reading yeah, the, I really the like question gloves. again. It looks like she's she's saying that she's going to bottom for him. She says, my boyfriend, I, he wants to try butt stuff. I've never done anything like it before and I'm nervous that I'll be bad at it. I want to make him feel good, but I also want to be very comfortable. Oh, interesting. We're reading this two different ways. So the person that I got this from, um, they told me they were interested in learning how to peg like do butt stuff to their boyfriend no. so th i mean the advice is like going either way but i'm i'm speaking more to the person who's going to be applying this knowledge on another person and not to themselves okay. does that make sense yeah 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 um you can suggest Ooh, this is a good one that b did for me um when he when we had anal sex the first time where he fucked my butt and his dick is a little bit on the bigger side as far as like what my ass can handle. Um, yeah. 
So, but what he suggested was, he said, I'm just going to stay still like this and you can back up as you need. So this way I instantly relaxed because I, I like knew that he wasn't going to just like ram it into me and I could take my own time. Um, That's smart. Yeah. Thank you. I thought that was a good one. Uh, Yeah. So you said lube, gloves, uh, go really, really slowly. Uh, I like using timers. Um, it kind of provides like an element, okay, to me of not formality, but like playful organization. So if I'm like, I'm going to set a timer for 15 minutes, um, we can stop anytime, but I'd like to really focus on playing with your ass for 15 minutes and we can go longer if you want to. Does that sound okay? But how's 15 minutes to start? You know, something like that. Um, that kind of sets a nice little container of time. And then when the timer goes off, I'll say, do you want me to keep doing this or do you want to switch? Ugh, I like sex games. Um, don't use light colored sheets. I mean, poop happens with butts. It's just whatever it does. But hopefully have like a nice bowel movement and then a bath. Um, you can do an enema. Enemas are really cheap at any kind of drugstore. Just use water. No chemicals, not hot water. Cold water is probably uncomfortable, but like whatever water is warm-ish comfortable to you. Um, angles. Angles will do. Angles make a huge difference. Like think about like ass down or <laughs> face down ass up versus like missionary. You know, like how does your butt up open up the most, John? Um, probably like, um, well, what's, 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 what works for me may not be what works for others, but probably on my back. Okay. With like a a pillow under your butt. If you're a first timer. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much, there's always so much more. We've talked about butt stuff sporadically. I remember a couple episodes ago, (laughs) I was asking you to poke yourself in the butt with either the pads or the tips of your fingers. (laughs) Like, don't, don't, that's the other thing. The first time you try something, don't expect to do everything in the first session. Like, don't even attempt it. Just think of like carving off a little bit of cheese. (laughs) <laughs> of vegan cheese from the vegan cheese block you're just doing a little <laughs> you're just tasting a little of the experience you're not gonna try to like yeah don't do everything in one session <laughs> it's impossible you can't anyway uh so let's read one more this is a feedback letter i think this was in response to our episode with heather hack sullivan midwife Your episode on the topic of birth has helped me understand the inequalities people experience during the business of birthing, which is encouraging me to speak out about the care I received so that others know it's an option. When I found out I was pregnant, I was not only homeless, but also very recently out of my job. I was covered by Rhode Island State Insurance, but concerned because I thought that my financial status or lack thereof would mean I wouldn't be able to experience the pregnancy or delivery that I wanted. I was so very wrong. In Rhode Island, we have many thundermist medical centers where they are typically the only option for people to receive medical attention, where we have a large POC population and also a great number of individuals below the poverty line outside of an emergency room. Um, I was assigned a midwife there immediately and was pleased to find out that every pregnant individual receives obstetric care from a midwife. I was also able to have my delivery in the alternative birthing center at our local Providence Hospital, where I was able to move freely during labor with no IV. I received minimal nurse intervention during normal labor, and I delivered on a king-size bed in a large private room with dim lights, and I was able to follow the indications from my own body about what felt right. That's cool. My pregnancy and delivery was unmedicated, and I felt that the nurses in the hospital were very understanding and respectful of my wishes. Everything was covered by my state health insurance, and the entire experience was something that I felt I was amazingly privileged to experience. I had a four-week follow-up after delivery with my midwife about my personal health and healing, which was crucial for me in being diagnosed with postpartum depression and making sure that I was taking care of myself in the after process. So that's cool. In Rhode Island, apparently there are resources for people 
who are homeless and below the poverty line to deliver in really sounds like overall really uh, good care really good care yeah we even having like the lights low and being able to move around oh that's so great okay good so see it's not all bad this is nice to hear and hopefully uh that doesn't change anytime soon let's take a break do you like food boobs and babes who smoke weed if so treat yourself to some wholesome stoner fun on topless takeout in this new web series you can join your host Jacqueline as she eats her way through Phoenix Arizona topless it'll be sure to satisfy all foodie and nudie lovers new episodes are released once a month check out patreon.com forward slash topless takeout to watch the latest not safe for work episode now Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender neutral, sex positive, trans and queer welcoming, kink positive, and body positive. We are just over the 205 bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Please rate or review us on your listening app and share the show if you would like to help us gain more listeners and subscribers. We would love to make to 100,000 subscribers by the new year. Oh, hey, John, I wonder, there's an impeachment like inquiry happening now. 2020 is looking up. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I I hope the Democrats don't blow their load on this and then lose all their steam before the election we really don't need to pour all of our efforts into an impeachment right before an election but if it's an easy process yeah why not <laughs> yeah the what do you- problem is that even if the democrats do everything perfectly it's still up to a senate controlled by mitch mcconnell so <laughs> probably mm-hmm. nothing will, mm-hmm. will come of it which is scary yeah mm-hmm. oh mitch mcconnell all right so I thought this was really interesting. I never heard of this at all. Uh, There's a history.com article. It was written this year, 2019. America's forgotten mass imprisonment of women believed to be sexually immoral. Um, This is scary. This is scary when you think about how um, censorship starting to crack down again on sex workers after FOSTA and the hotels that were like, we're going to call, we're going to report women traveling alone with lots of luggage and jewelry and paying in cash. We're going to report them to prevent trafficking. Anyway, so this article says for much of the 20th century in America, a little known but widespread government program locked people up without trials simply for having STIs and then forced them to undergo dangerous, poisonous treatments. Um, It says in California, Sacramento, California, in 1919, nearly two dozen women were rounded up by authorities. On one day, uh, this woman, Margaret Hennessy, so she told her tale, was one of them. The two women walked to the market. They were approached by an officer, Ryan, and other members of Sacramento's Morals Squad, a unit formed that very morning, tasked with cleansing the city of vice or immorality. The police told the lone women they were under arrest as, quote, suspicious characters. Uh, I guess one of them had to go get her six-year-old pretty soon, and the officer said they paid it no heed, took them to a city's isolation hospital called Canary Cottage. A doctor probed and prodded their genitalia, examining them for STIs. Uh, they felt degraded. Uh, so she told this story and apparently she was only one of perhaps tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, they say, of American women who were detained and forcibly examined for STIs between the 1910s and the 1950s. And this happened in Europe, too. Uh, It was modeled after similar programs in Europe. If the women tested positive... U.S. officials locked them away in penal institutions with no due process. Oh, my God. Damn. Inside these institutions, records show the women were often injected with mercury and forced to ingest arsenic-based drugs, the most common treatments for syphilis. Oh, God. They could be thrown into solitary confinement, doused with cold water, beaten, or even sterilized. Um, So this was in response to a wave of STIs that were contracted in World War One. 
It says federal officials were horrified in 1917 to learn that a huge percentage of men in the military, some estimated one in three, were infected with syphilis or gonorrhea. But it says they estimated incorrectly. Um, So they overestimated how many people had STIs and then fast passed a federal law that outlawed sex work within a five-mile moral zone of every military training camp in the country. When they learned that most infected soldiers and sailors actually contracted their STIs back in their hometowns, they worked to expand this prohibition to cover the entire nation. And when they discovered that most of the women who who supposedly infected the men weren't (laughs) professional prostitutes, they expanded the program even further. (laughs) Amazing. So eventually they're just like, oh, it's all women. (laughs) Shocker. So in 1918, federal officials began pushing every state in America to pass a, quote, model law, which enabled officials to forcibly examine any person reasonably suspected of having an STI. Yeah, it says many women were also detained if they if they didn't want to have sex with the police or health officers. Yeah, yeah be raped by, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I see that. Um, it says women of color and immigrant women were targeted and subjected to higher degree of abuse once they were locked up. Enforcement of the American plan ended by the 1970s amid the rise of the civil rights movement. Thank you, civil rights movement. Um, <laughs> so it lasted in many places for half a century, but today, half a century later, few people have ever heard of it. This was the American plan. That's fucking crazy. Ooh, e- wow. It says that some of these laws are still on the books in some form in every state in the nation. If health officials deem such isolation necessary, it could be legal in your state. Uh, yeah. Scott W. Stern is the author of The Trials of Nina McCall, Sex Surveillance, and the Decades-Long Government Plan to Imprison Promiscuous Women. Cool. Wow. Check that shit out. Um, That's wild, isn't it? Oh, my Lord. Like, I'm so glad sometimes. Okay. If I ever get really bummed on the state of things in the world, I ask myself, like, when would I rather be living? And then I realize I can't really think of a time because it would have been worse for me in any way. So (laughs) it's like we, we have this nice little window right now between like having birth control and starting to like have another civil rights movement and then the earth burning up or something. But, um, (laughs) let's enjoy it. (laughs) I want to, in an upcoming episode, talk a little bit more about hormonal birth control and some of its impacts. Here's another article that has to do with sex ed and women's sexual health, mostly. Um, This was by Vice, or this is on Vice Identity, by Bethy Squires written a couple of years ago, the racist and sexist history of keeping birth control side effects secret. So in 2016, so this article starts out referring to a study that tracked hormonal birth control use and the prescription of antidepressants uh, over six years for over a million women in the study. Uh, They found that the women who were on hormonal birth control, which I say HBC, just to shorten that sometimes, whether it was the pill, IUD, or ring, were also, they were more likely to be prescribed uh, antidepressants. And uh, when you go deeper, the study says that there's also a strong link between teenage birth control use and depression with an 80% increase for teens taking birth control to start taking antidepressants after they go on the pill. Um, it says that sometimes the pill is prescribed before teens are even sexually active to treat acne or severe menstrual symptoms or something just as general, a preventative measure as a rite of passage. Um, this is definitely the case, and I, I want to say hormonal birth control works excellent for some people, and they really like it, and they don't mind their symptoms, 
There are other people who have become so depressed and suicidal, who have gotten cystic acne, who have gained 40 to 50 pounds, and, and they weren't told any of this could happen. So oh, risk-informed. I mean, when you, when you ever went to start a new medication, were you told about side effects for any, any or all of your medications ever, John? Um, yeah, but the problem is that they try to tell you, like, the most common stuff, um, but they don't, they don't really, I got a lot more discussions from my doctors about side effects, um, after I would bring up side effects and then they would be like, oh yeah, that can occur. There are all sorts of weird things that can occur on meds and we're, we're terribly unprepared for the side effects and they should really, instead of just giving you a leaflet with like 600 of them, they should be like, here are the most common ones you might experience. Like, and there's some weird mm -hmm. ones too, like things you wouldn't expect. Um, Adderall can give you cavities, if you didn't know that, mm. um, because it reduces the amount of moisture in your mouth. Um, and moisture in your mouth is good is a good environment um, for saliva to be able to move around so that it protects your teeth from cavities. And, uh, oh my God. And, yeah. And, and probably healthy bacteria to maintain just yeah. in general. Yeah, and that's also why people oh. who do meth have bad teeth, right? So, oh my god i wondered why their teeth yeah it's because of the dehydration oh my god. they're always consistently okay. dehydrated plus they don't brush their teeth because you know they're high so yeah yeah okay oh my gosh okay so so if you start a medication so we agree that people should be informed of like oh, any totally. of the possible ones yeah, yeah. especially for um, like stuff like women's birth control where you can get like depression like, what the fuck? Like, at least the other meds, that's, like, weird shit. Like, you know, maybe your skin will get itchy a bit or you'll get, like, dry mouth. And the women's, like, birth control is all like, yeah, you might want to kill yourself. But, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, so in some of the earlier birth control experiments, such as the one in the 1950s by gynecologist John Rock um, and biologist Gregory Pincus, they discovered that animals injected with progestin didn't ovulate. So when they started testing it on women under the guise of a fertility study, he did not inform his patients that it would prevent them from getting pregnant. Another facet of taking away consent. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then many women dropped out of that study because they couldn't tolerate the side effects, bloating, potentially fatal blood clots. Yeah, I can't tolerate potentially fatal blood clots. <laughs> and mood changes. Uh, and then, ooh, oh God, I learned about this when I was in my sex ed training and I was horrified, but how important. Uh, so Puerto Rican women in the fifties and sixties were many of them sterilized without their consent or knowledge. The procedure was known casually as la operacion, uh, and they figured that they would find a population of test subjects that most of the poor, uneducated women would use the pill. Um, a lot of these poor, uneducated women also did not want to tolerate the pill's side effects, so they dropped out. So they started looking for women that they could force to participate, and they went to the mental asylum. Um, these women weren't told what the pill was for either. Uh, take the medicine and then submit to the frequent medical exams, where, yes, they did go into their vaginas. Uh, eventually there was a researcher, Dr. Idris Rice Way, who said, tell the women what the pill is actually supposed to do. And so social workers began going door to door in San Juan housing projects, explaining that a pill could be taken daily to prevent pregnancy. Once women were told what the pill did, they signed up by the hundreds. However, they were not informed that this was part of a clinical trial or that the treatment was experimental. Uh, so after the study was concluded, they found out that it 100% effective that it was 100% effective at preventing pregnancy. But three women died during the study, and they were never autopsied to see if that had anything to do with it. Uh, they concluded that the pill had too many side effects to be generally acceptable, and about 17% of participants suffered from side effects such as nausea, dizziness, headaches, stomach pain, and vomiting. Uh, but they still released that version of the pill. And, ooh, later they found out it contained 10 times the yeah, amount of hormones needed. Yeah, 10 times the amount. <laughs> God. Isn't that insane? 
<sighs> you literally have taken half and still be taking like four times too much. Like, <laughs> <sighs> so scary. <clears throat> and then it feels like the men uh, didn't want to take it because it caused testicle shrinking and it was seen as like <laughs> men shouldn't take it because they demand a better quality of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just our damn hormones, you know, making us so unreasonable. Um, so when we say stuff like everyone is problematic, that means everyone in the world. Like, honestly, look at any industry or institution or study or practice. There's going to be some yucky, gross shit to wade through the history. And that's really important to acknowledge, you know, because there's like, obviously there's value to the work. But what did that work look like over time in history? Uh, um, yeah, so <laughs> moving forward as more things come out on the market, just keep in mind that folks trying to make money aren't always necessarily honest. So ask your doctor about all the side effects and then maybe ask another doctor or look online. Ask your doctor, but like what I found is Google it because <laughs> like does like if you just type in the word of your medication, side effects, or like even just put in a couple words for like any symptom, you'll get people talking about it. And that's always a better indicator to me than asking my doctor what the side effects are. Because often doctors will be like, there's so many, I can't list them. But online on the forums, mm -hmm. they'll like talk about like the top three or four. And then you can kind of have an idea of what to mm -hmm. look out for as well. Like you should never take a medication mm -hmm. if you haven't Googled the crap out of it first. Um, yeah and check hashtags too I mean uh, like breast implant illness hashtag BII is something that wasn't even being investigated until earlier this year and that's because literally tens of thousands of women who had boob jobs started naming their symptoms to each other online in forums and they're like oh my god there's tens of thousands of us yeah. Um, yeah so again feedback is important we say that a lot in this show um Okay, so thank you so much, everybody who listened. John, can I tell you more about my <laughs> kinky cage sex that we had last night in the after show? Sure. <laughs> sure, you're like, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. How's your sex life? Are you still in work mode? Um, yeah, mostly, mostly in work mode, but it's okay. going pretty well. Yeah. Okay, well... If we're having a sex podcast, at least one of us should be doing something <laughs> interesting at any time. So we can just take turns. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Okay, check us out on strangebedfellowspdx.com. I am stripper writer. I'm metric.cafe on Instagram. All right, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind-the-scenes, photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strangebedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L. Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L. Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillow talk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram at metric.cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.